from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. So take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Throughout the Gospel of John, there are groups of sevens, and we've talked about these. One of the groups is seven discourses. Discourses are just extended teaching passages of Jesus. Jesus and Nicodemus, uh, Jesus and the woman at the well, uh, the bread of life, and, and those discourses. This morning in John chapter 10, we're coming to the seventh and final discourse. This is the last public discourse of Jesus teaching, um, because in John chapter 12, the gospel of John turn, takes a very different turn. Uh, that whole last uh, part of John is, is focused exclusively on the last week, on the passion. And so we're moving from his public ministry to his private ministry. And in this public ministry, what he or public discourse, what he is going to do is take an illustration that would be very familiar to his listeners, and that is of being a shepherd and shepherding. Everyone that he is speaking to would understand what he is talking about. They would know the terminology. They would know the daily schedule of a shepherd. They, they would know just everything about it, know the dangers. I mean, even if they were not one, they knew somebody who was, or they saw somebody working. It would be common knowledge to them just from day-to-day life and from looking, seeing, and observing. Behind just being a shepherd is a theological truth that permeates all of the Old Testament. Right? We see this in Psalm 23. God is our shepherd. But at the same time, you go back through and you look throughout the Old Testament and you see Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. So God is using this common knowledge of his people and what they knew to teach them that God really is the shepherd of his people. He is the one who leads his people. You don't have to turn there, but Isaiah 40, verse 10 and 11, well, verse 11 says, talking about God, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. It's not a hard truth to see in Scripture. It is right there for everybody. And again, Jesus' audience would have known that, not just the, the shepherd down the street, but what it means from the Old Testament. Now, along the way, throughout history, God was very gracious to his people, and he appointed people to lead Israel like a shepherd, but would be sort of an under-shepherd. We've, we've used that terminology before. Again, Abraham led the people like the shepherd. Moses led his people like a shepherd. David led his people like a shepherd. The problem arose when people leading God's people or attempting to lead God's people did not lead like a shepherd, but like a false shepherd. They didn't care about the flock. They didn't care about their safety so that they would not lead them the way that God had instructed them. And when this happened, God spoke very harshly against them. Jeremiah 10, verse 21, which I thought I had marked and I do not. Excuse me. 
Jeremiah 10, verse 21. God is talking, and this is what God says. For the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered, and all their flock is scattered. Can I just say that if God says you're stupid, that's pretty serious, right? I mean, that's bad. And so you have God as the shepherd who has given other shepherds to lead his people, and some have done a good job and some have not. With all that background, with all the practical knowledge of being a shepherd, with all the history that the people would know, with all the theological knowledge of being a shepherd, Jesus brings it all together in John chapter 10 to teach them a great theological truth. This is what Jesus says in John 10, verse 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay, my life, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it up from me, but I lay it down on my own accord." I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of the one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So this morning, as, as we go through this, there are some theological truths that I want us to, to look at. And the first one is simply this. Jesus knows his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep. Now, part of the problem we have in the first five verses of John 10 is we're not shepherds. I, I, I'm not. I don't play one on TV. Haven't been around a lot of sheep. I, I know nothing about sheep. Okay? So we have to, for just a moment, take a minute to, to cross that cultural gap to help us understand the terminology. Because we don't have flocks. We have cows. We got, we got cows across. We know what cows look like and what they do. 
But as Jesus is coming to talk to them, he is going to use everything, the the history, the practical knowledge, and the theology that they know, and use what I'm going to call a symbolic illustration, right? Anybody catch verse 6 that says, Jesus used this figure of speech? That's That's really kind of weird. And the reason why is the word that is used there is only used in John. No, I take that back. It's used by John three times, once by Peter. And it's not the word that is used for parable. Okay, I think we want to call this a parable. This technically is not a parable. It's it's more like a symbolic illustration so that if a listener thinks deeply on the illustration, then you understand the theological truth that it contains. So to help us, let's let's talk about the gap. Now, a a shepherd would would take the sheep out into the fields, right? They don't graze the sheep in the city. We we know that much. So they would take them out and, and they would graze them, but then at night they would lead them into a sheepfold. And a sheepfold can either be a small sheepfold for one flock or a large communal sheepfold. So the large communal one, which is envisioned here, you know, I would, I would lead my flock in, Greg would lead his flock in, Roger would lead his flock in. We'd all lead our flocks into this one large enclosed sheepfold. Now, the sheepfold, it's not like the fence across the street to keep the cows in, right? The barbed wire fence. It would be a solid structure. Think, think stone stacked up, or if it was in town, perhaps a courtyard that, that was bordered by walls on three sides. And the sheepfold would only have one way in. There was one entrance. And in the communal sheepfold, they would have a gatekeeper, which would usually be an apprentice shepherd, right? You're the apprentice, you get the job, nobody else wants. And the job of the apprentice shepherd was to be the gate. So many times, the the apprentice shepherd would literally lay down in that one entrance, right? Because it's for sheep. You don't need a huge entrance, you just got a small, small entrance. The shepherd would lay down and be the gate into the fold. Anybody going in or out has to go over the shepherd, However, when the shepherd appears to get his sheep, the gatekeeper would just move from the door and allow the shepherd in to check on his flock. Only the true shepherd could get in to the fold. So Jesus tells this symbolic illustration And he starts off saying, truly, truly, I say to you, right, that, hey, listen up. I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. And now that we know what a sheepfold looks like, we're drawn to the the illustration. And one of the things that we're drawn to is as soon as Jesus starts telling this story, did you notice that there is immediate conflict? Did did you notice that? Look again in verse 1. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Bam, right there at the very beginning. There is someone who can go in the door and there's somebody who is not going in the door. They're climbing over the fences. And so in the midst of this conflict, we see this hostility. And the hostility is pointing us to the question of legitimacy. Who belongs in the sheepfold? Who's allowed access to the sheep. What have we been seeing for the first nine chapters of John? We have been seeing the hostility directed toward Jesus by his opponents. 
And in John's gospel, the opponents are the religious leaders of the day. The ones from Jeremiah 10 who were stupid and not listening to the Lord. So Jesus thrust us immediately into this conflict. We see the hostility. So who then has the legitimacy to be in the sheepfold? Well, we know that. The shepherd. The one who goes in through the door. And Jesus, in telling this illustration, makes it very clear. He is the one that has the legitimate right to enter into the sheepfold. And when he does... We know that he is the legitimate shepherd because of his actions. In verse 3 it says, the shepherd calls out to the sheep. Now this is one of the things that I find really interesting. Shepherds have a unique call to call their sheep. So going back earlier to me, Greg, and Roger taking our sheep into the pen, I could walk out into the pen, I could call my sheep with whatever call I had, and my sheep would come and all, Greg and Rogers, they would stay. In fact, the sheep, as dumb as they are, they're really good at listening. If Roger, Greg, and myself were standing there and each one of us call, using our own call, the sheep would divide themselves to, the, to their shepherd. So Jesus goes in, he calls, that, calls them, and it says, not only does he call them, but listen, did you know, did you pick up what it said at the end of verse 3? He calls his own sheep by name. Shepherds would also individually name their sheep and would assign calls to each sheep so they could actually call their flock or call a sheep. And the individual sheep would respond. So I was writing this, I was thinking about my dog who just doesn't respond. <laughs> it's like, if only I had a sheep, <laughs> you know? Right? The shepherd knows the sheep's name, and he calls them out individually. But if it's a thief, the thief doesn't know their names, doesn't know the call, and the sheep will not respond. Now, this is very important, because in John 6, 37, Jesus says that everyone the Father has given to me will come to me. Now, what we're seeing in John 6 and what we're seeing right here is sheep don't become sheep because they follow Jesus. Okay? Sheep follow Jesus because they are his sheep. He knows who belong to him. And he is going to call them. And when they hear their name, they will follow what did we just see in John chapter 9? Did you catch the end of verse 21 directed us back to John 9 about the man born blind? All right, can a demon, can somebody possessed by a demon here heal a man born blind? All right, when you think about the man born blind, when you look at that story as it flows into John chapter 10, the climax at the story is when the man is confronted by the Pharisees and basically says, is told, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow us? Or are you going to follow Jesus? And what does the man end up doing? He says, I'll follow Jesus. 
verse 35 and 38 of John 9, that last interaction with, with Jesus and the man born blind. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and listen to this, And it is he who is speaking to you. And so the man then said, Lord, I believe and worship Jesus. The man who was born blind, who when Jesus first approached him, could not see Jesus, and the end responds not to Jesus because he can see Jesus' face, but responds to Jesus because he knows his voice. And he knows that he belongs to the shepherd. And he ends up following Jesus. And as Jesus comes in for his sheep and calls their name, we're told again in verse 3, he begins, he leads them out. Now again, that's important because in America, we think cows and cowboys, right? Our sheep are cows, our shepherds are cowboys, and, and we, we've seen the pictures of the cowboys on the horses. What do they do? Where are they? Are they in front of the cow or behind the cows? They're behind the cows driving the cows, pushing the cows to where they want to be. Shepherds aren't like that. Shepherds are out front having to lead the sheep because, again, the sheep will respond to the call so the shepherd can just walk and, 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 and whistle or whatever, and the sheep just, they're going to follow him. Where's he leading them? Right? He, he's out there looking for the green pastures. He's out there looking for the still waters. He's looking for the safe path, the secure field. And so over and over, Jesus throughout John's gospel has said to what? To everybody says what? Follow me. Right? Like the shepherd, follow me. Listen to my voice. I will lead you. But what are the religious rulers of the day doing? They're not leading the people. They're not out front leading them. They're behind the people, driving the people to obey the extra rules, to ob obey what they have put on top of worship, to obey what they have put on top of Scripture, driving the people saying, you've got to be like us. And when they say, be like us, they're driving them away from God. The religious leaders of the day should be leading the people to God. Instead, they're driving them away. But we need to answer an interesting question here real quick before we move on. And the question is this. Who are the sheep? Right? Who, who are the sheep in this question? Now, I know what you're saying, and you probably know where I'm going, but we're not there yet because the answer right here in verse 3 through 5 is not me. It's not us. It's not the church. This is important. Otherwise, verse 16 doesn't make any sense. And we'll get to verse 16 in a few minutes. Right here, the sheep that are in the pen is Israel. Right? It, it's, it's Israel. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 15, 24, that he comes to the lost sheep of Israel. So what is Jesus doing right here in John? He comes to his own. He comes to the lost sheep of Israel, and he is leading them out. Where is Jesus leading them? He's leading them out of Israel to himself as the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. Yes, that will become the church. 
I mean, the nucleus, the, the first church was, was, was Jewish. So Jesus is leading them out of Israel to himself. And by doing that, Jesus is saying, I am the continuation of God's plan by fulfillment. And all the religious leaders should have been leading you to me to this day. They're not, so now I am. Jesus is the one who was sent by God to lead his people. And we know that he is because he demonstrates that by his actions of leading people to God and not away from God. But then we see that Jesus provides for a sheep. I always like it when, when we're told that people don't understand in Scripture. It makes me feel a little bit better. Doesn't it make you feel a little bit better? Verse 6, the figure of speech Jesus used with them, they did not understand what he was saying to them. All right. uh, y'all aren't nodding. I guess y'all have never read a passage of Scripture and thought, man, what in the world? I'm talking about there. Why are there armored locusts coming up out of the ground? But hey, anybody, we, we can switch. I, I got to learn. They don't understand. So Jesus is going to explain. Now, this again, I find interesting. The whole point is the shepherd, right? But that's not where he starts. Where does he start? He says, truly, truly, hey, listen to me. If we're expecting I'm the shepherd. He doesn't. He says, I'm the door. Wait, wait a minute. You're, you're the door? I mean, he repeats it again, verse 9. I'm the door. You're, you're the door? What in the world? Well, thank goodness, again... He explains it to me, to to me, to us, to everybody. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. There it is. The door then is salvation. And Jesus is saying, he provides the only way to salvation. Salvation is only through him. How many doors into the sheepfold? One. How many legitimate entrances into the sheepfold? One. How many ways to be saved? One, that's it. It is through Jesus and only through Jesus that one is saved. That's why he says, I am the door. Now, now, quick side note, and this is important. Jesus is not the gatekeeper. Right? Some translations say gate, some say door. He's not the gatekeeper. He is the gate. And you might go, well, who's the gatekeeper? And the answer is just the person in the story. That's who the gatekeeper is. The gatekeeper is the person in the story. Because Jesus is the door. And to be saved, you must go through him. There's no other way, right? You, you can't go around. You can't go over. You can't go below. You can't go behind. You can only go through. You cannot demand another door. You cannot climb over the walls. You cannot sneak in by hiding underneath another sheep. There is only one way to be part of the flock, and that is through Jesus Christ. And it's at this point that people will, will probably look at Christians and believers and go, you know, Gary, that, that's, that's an exclusive claim. That's when you look back on them and go, uh-huh. Yes, it is. I, I know people, I know the buzzword is inclusive, but this is an exclusive claim. It's an exclusive claim to salvation. And as believers, we don't back down from that. We, we don't say, well, you know, if you follow and then... Uh, no. 
There's, there's only one way. And, and, and Jesus makes it clear. And as we think about this door, and, and we think about it in the context of the church, the entrance to the church is not the door in the back of the building. The entrance to the church is through Jesus Christ. And if you're going to be part of the flock, that's the only way. You don't get in any other way. And he makes that clear. He says, anyone who makes an alternate claim, he says, these are thieves and robbers. The people who have, who have come before, not the prophets, but the religious leaders who have opposed Jesus since the very beginning. The religious leaders in John 9, when a man who was born blind has his sight, instead of returning to Jesus and going, you must be the one sent from God who you claim to be because never in the world has this ever happened before. You must be sent by God to do this and fallen at his feet to worship him. They say, he's got a demon. This man, he's nobody. Don't follow him. Follow us. To which, I would have liked the man born blind to walk up, grab a Pharisee by the hand, let him down to a leper or another person, say, blind, say, I'll follow you, you make that guy see. They can't do it. But even in their powerlessness, they, they're, they're not going to worship. They're going to continue on in their way. And so Jesus says, look, you've claimed to be the way to God, and you're not. You're not leading people to God. You are leading people around God. You're trying to lead them in a way that they should not go. You're a thief and a robber who has no desire to protect the sheep. They've come to... Jesus says, kill, steal, and destroy. They've come to steal what is not theirs, to, to, to slaughter what is not theirs to destroy and re- render useless? What does not belong to them? All in the name of saying, we're protecting you. And we're leading you to God. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Remember what he said to him in Matthew 23, verses 13 through 16? But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's face. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, you blind guides. They're the thieves and the robbers. And instead of leading them through Jesus to salvation, they are leading them away. They've invaded the fold to lead people straight to hell. And this is a good thing for us to think about today, too. Right? We, we need to understand that that still happens. There, there are still people today who cloak themselves in religion who are not leading people to Jesus, but leading people straight to hell. I mean, they, they, they can quote the Bible. They, they can tell you all about Jesus. They, but in the end, it all points back to them. Right? They're, they're glorifying themselves before man. And one of the roles that God gives to the under-shepherds of his church is to protect you and warn you against those teachings and teachers. All right? So, so beware the false shepherds who say, God spoke to me. That, that's tip-off number one. Beware the false shepherds who, who, who say, all you have to do is. 
That's a works-based salvation. You can't do enough. Beware the false shepherds who point to themselves and not God. Beware the false shepherds who say, you know what? If, if you'll just be good enough, you, you, you can do it. Beware the false shepherds that say, God's word may say, but. Beware the false shepherds who do that because they are not pointing you to God's. They are thieves and robbers driving you away from Christ. saw in an article, we were talking about faith this morning, and I thought Debbie was going to ask a question that was in the Sunday school literature that she didn't. The question was, who do you have the most faith in or something like that? And it had, it had, had a little graph, you know, you could pick. It was like pastors and police officers, right? I can't remember how the wording was. Here's the sad truth. There was a poll that came out this year that says the, the, the trust in pastors is currently at 34%. Some of that we did on our own, I, you know, not me, but just the, 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 uh, the group as a whole. Some of it, it's because they're false shepherds. I honestly believe that. Some of it is because they're false shepherds. They're not teaching the truth. They're teaching things that clearly contradict Scripture, clearly contradict science, clearly contradict common sense. And they're saying, trust us. Why? Why? Why should I trust you? Why should Red Bank trust me? You shouldn't. You should trust the authority of God's word, which I stand and proclaim to you. It's not my authority. Trust the one who has the authority. Sorry, soapbox. So Jesus is talking, and he's telling them this. He says, you've come, and you're taking them away, and you're killing them. But look at what Jesus says, right? Because Jesus is talking about providing for his sheep. But then he says, you know, I have come. Right? I, I have come, verse 10, that they may have life and have it abundantly. You've come to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come to give life and have it abundantly. While the robbers are selfish, Jesus is selfless. Jesus comes for the benefit of the sheep. The Pharisees are not out for the benefit of the sheep. They're out for the benefit of themselves. But Jesus comes for the benefit of the sheep and says, the benefit that I come to provide for you is salvation. And that is abundant life. You have abundant life through me. And make no mistake, right? Because we live in, in a secular, media-driven age. Abundant life is, is, is not a life of fame. It's not a life of ease. It's not a life of millions of followers or millions of dollars in a bank account. That is not the abundant life. The abundant life is a life that is lived following the shepherd. And he says, I come to give you abundant life. And when we have abundant life, when we have that salvation in Jesus, then we have a new vitality. We have a new meaning to life. We have a new energy. We have new purpose. 
We have new significance. We, we have a new outlook. And we don't have to be like the rest of society who has maybe everything else, the millions of the followers, the big house, the big bank account, who is still searching and still looking for meaning for life. We can go, I've got that. I've got it. And it has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with the fact that the shepherd came, called my name, and I heard, I responded, I was saved, and now through him, I have abundant life. Jesus came to provide for the sheep. But then finally, Jesus says, he lays down his life for his sheep. Finally, in verse 11, he states what we already know where he's going, right? He finally states, I am the good shepherd, not just the shepherd, but the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Again, he says it. I am the good shepherd. Keep saying it over and over and over. I am the good shepherd. And again, when we hear those words, it speaks to our soul. And I can't explain why it's a shepherd illustration that speaks to me. Because I know nothing about sheep. Closest I've ever been to sheep was I was driving in Romania, and there was a flock of sheep in the middle of the road. And I did like everybody else. I stopped until all the sheep went by me. That, that, that's it. That is my experience with sheep other than petting zoos. I know nothing. But I read, I am the good shepherd, and I just like, wow. My soul is moved. Because Jesus says he is the good shepherd. Not just a shepherd, not just one of many. He is the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, it says he is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And you might think, well, wouldn't other shepherds? And the answer is no. Would they defend the sheep? Absolutely. But did they want to die? Were they willing to die for the sheep? No, they didn't want to die for the sheep. They wanted to live for the sheep. Jesus says, as the good shepherd, I come to die for the sheep. If any other shepherd were to die, it would be accidental. Jesus says, I come to die for the sheep. So his death is going to be intentional. He will lay down his life. There it is. There's the, the intentional laying down of his life on the cross. It's not going to be an accident. The leaders of the day are not going to outflank him and corner him. It is purposeful and intentional. As he says in Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. He is coming to lay down his life for his sheep. And one of the things that, that is just really interesting in, in, in the Gospel of John is the word for. Think about how many times you use that word in, in a day. Gospel of John, he uses it 13 times. It's a lot of words not to use the word for. 11 of those times, they have the same context. Where Jesus says, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Where Jesus says, nor do you understand it is better for you that one man should die for the people. Jesus says, Jesus would die for the nation. All of those contexts, all those times that John uses, it's about sacrifice. Jesus says he has come to lay down his life as a sacrifice for the sheep. Now let that sink in for just a minute. Because I think we read that and, and we don't think hard enough on it. 
Because we immediately go to the cross, right? Which is a good thing. Let's always go into the cross is a good thing. That's never a bad thing. But I want you to think about something for just a moment. Throughout Scripture, what was sacrificed? Sheep. Sheep. Over and over and over and over again. Sheep were offered as a sacrifice. And here is Jesus saying, wait a minute. I'm going to be the sacrifice for the sheep. And in just that one statement, he turns the entire sacrificial code upside down. Nobody would have taken the sheep to the temple and died for the sheep. The sheep had one purpose. When that sheep was taken out of the flock, going up to the temple by that person, the sheep had one purpose. The purpose was that sheep was the sacrifice for the person. And here Jesus says, wait a minute, I'm going to be the sacrifice for the sheep. The false shepherds, he says, they're not going to do that. They're going to try to kill you. They're going to make you a sacrifice. But here I'm saying, I will be the sacrifice for my sheep. There is not another system, whether it is religious, political, philosophical, whether it is scientific, whether it is cultic, where the leader lays down his life for the sheep. Every other system has the sheep laying down their life for the leader. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how it works. I have come to lay down my life for you so that you may have abundant life. And while the others are, are wanting to kill and sacrifice you, I will be your sacrifice so that through me, you can be saved. The false prophets, the false shepherds, he says they flee in danger, right? They don't, they don't know the name of the sheep. He continues and he says, look, the, the false, uh, the hired hand, he says, he does not own the sheep, sees the wolf and leaves the sheep. He flees, the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I care for my sheep so much that I want to lay down my life for them. He, he is personally involved with his sheep. It is an intimate knowledge with the sheep. Not a, not a superficial knowledge, right? You know, I, I know Tom Brady. He doesn't return my phone calls. But I know him. You know him. He doesn't return my phone calls because I don't call him either. It's not a good relationship, you know. We know a lot of people, but there's very few that we have intimate knowledge about. Jesus knows us. He knows the sheep intimately. And look at what he says. Look at how that, that, that love is based. He says, I know the sheep, right? I, I care for the sheep. And he says in verse 15, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. The intimate knowledge that Jesus has between his sheep and himself is based on the intimate knowledge that Jesus has with the Father. With the same love that the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, Jesus loves his sheep. 
And when he's looking around and he's saying, you know, I've come and he's, he, he's, he's going to call his sheep and they will respond. He makes a, a statement in verse 16 that I said we we're going to have to look at because verse 16 is really, really important to us. Because Jesus doesn't just love the sheep of Israel. He loves the sheep that belong to him. Look at verse 16. Right? Verse 16, he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Who's the other sheep? Who's the other fold? It's people who are not Jewish. It is people who are not in Israel. Verse 3, you, or verse 2, you want to look at the sheep and go, it's us, it's the church. No, we're in verse 16. Because unless I know something, unless you know something I don't, we're not Jewish. All right? So Jesus says, I've got other people that are not of this fold, and he's going to bring them in the fold. So the fold that he brings and the fold that he has, the church that he has, is a church that is made up of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. But it doesn't matter. What matters is they come the same way. I must bring them and they will listen to my voice. They come into the church the same manner. Jesus calls, they respond and enter through him. Just like he called Israel, he calls us and we respond to his voice. How do you know someone is a believer in Christ? Because they hear his voice and obey it. And he says the most beautiful thing. Look at what happens. He calls the flock of Israel. He calls the fold that is not his. He, he says, so there will be what? One flock, one shepherd. Isn't that beautiful? So when Jesus brings his sheep into the fold, what you end up with is one flock, one shepherd. There is one church of Jesus Christ. Even though the church is composed of every tribe and tongue, it is one flock, one shepherd, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, and one God the Father and one body. Jesus says, I'm going to bring my fold together and it will be one. It will be one. Because he's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. He's not going to flee the danger. And the danger we know in John right now, the danger is going to be the cross. And he will face it head on. He will lay down his life on his own accord. And he lays down his life so that he can take it up again. We can never separate his death from his resurrection. The resurrection was as much a part of God's plan as the cross. And Jesus says he's going to take up his life again and he's going to raise to life so that through him we may be raised to life as well. And in doing so, he proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That's what he says. This is my mission. And he says he will fulfill it because he is the good shepherd who has come to fulfill everything that the Old Testament has been pointing to. Ezekiel 34, and we'll close with this. The word of Yahweh come to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, 
Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with, with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the stray you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, and none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. As I live, declares Yahweh God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and to put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, for they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd that has come to seek out his sheep. Follow me and have abundant life. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website, at www.redbankmbc.com If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.